Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the Project More Happy podcast. I'm Jessica, the More Happy Coach, founder of Project More Happy, and host of this podcast, where we talk about the science of happiness and positive psychology, and how we can put it into action to design the lives we'll love. It's a new year. Welcome to 2024, everyone. I've got a question for you to kick off our time together today. Are you ready? What if you got to the end of this year and were in exactly the same place you are today? You have the same job, you have the same relationships, the same city, you have the same routine, the same everything. Yeah, that's why we tend to start our new year by making resolutions, because as humans, our happiness is tied to our growth. And growth requires change. We always crave more and better for ourselves and for our lives. It's that happiness pillar of curiosity at work. So today, we're going to do just that. We're going to talk about how we make that change happen for ourselves. We're going to spend our time talking about how to make better New Year's resolutions to get the changes and the outcomes we want, how to make resolutions that actually stick that have higher success rates, resolutions that will guarantee we end 2024 in a different place than we are right now. And whatever that change looks like for you, and honestly, it doesn't matter much to me, except that I want you to make it happen for yourself. And I know you can. You have all the tools you need to do it. And the science here that I'm about to share will provide you with the framework and structure to do it. Okay? Today is about designing a happier year for yourself. It's about those pesky New Year's resolutions that we eagerly make and just as quickly abandon. Only this year is going to be different. This year, we're actively designing our lives. And when you get to the end of this year, you're not going to be the same person you are right now. So let's get started. The practice of making New Year's resolutions can be traced back to ancient Babylon. That's like 4,000 years ago. So the Babylonians celebrated the New Year with a religious festival called Akitu. Part of this festival involved making promises or vows to the gods to pay back debts and return borrowed items. This was a way to start the new year with a clean slate and earn the favor of the gods. And then we move to ancient Rome. Around 46 BC, Julius Caesar, we all know Caesar, he changed the calendar and introduced the Julian calendar, which moved the new year from March 1st to January 1st, which aligns with the month named after Janus. So January, Janus. Now, Janus, if you aren't a Percy Jackson fan who just so happens to know their Greek and Roman mythology, Janus is the Roman god of beginnings and transitions. Janus was depicted with two faces, one looking back into the past and one looking forward into the future. This symbolizes both reflection and resolution. Fast forward to the 18th and 19th centuries, where the practice of making New Year's resolutions became more secular, right? It wasn't always tied to religious festivals. Um, And we started making resolutions 
that were more related to self-improvement, to personal goals, and to building new habits. Today, the tradition continues. Research from the University of Scranton suggests that approximately 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. So almost half of us do this routinely every year. And while there isn't a global figure, it's safe to say that millions of people worldwide make New Year's resolutions as they look forward to a fresh start. So a lot of people make resolutions at the start of each new year. A lot. All over the world. For a lot of different reasons. And we've been doing it for a really long time. These days, the most common resolutions include exercising more, eating healthier, saving money, reducing stress, traveling, learning new skills, and spending more time with family and friends. However, and this is a big however, as much as we make New Year's resolutions every year, and as many people who do, do, the success rate for New Year's resolutions is pretty low. One study published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology found that only about 8% of people successfully achieve those goals. We're going to talk about why that is and what the science tells us that we can do to change those failed outcomes and successfully design resolutions that work, that work for us, that work for the life we are building, for a life we will love. So let's start with why we typically fail at keeping our resolutions, because I'm guessing we all have really good intentions when we commit to them. They probably are things we would really like to change, and yet we tend to lose motivation a few weeks into the new calendar year. We're going to look at the top three reasons why people tend to abandon ship on those resolutions so that we can put science into action to do better this time around. Now, the first big reason we fail at keeping these resolutions is because they lack specificity and clarity. According to that same study in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, one of the most significant reasons resolutions fail is because we aren't specific. They're not specific measurable goals. Goal setting theory, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, emphasizes the importance of setting clear and specific goals because vague, poorly defined resolutions, that leads to uncertainty. And uncertainty leads to reduced motivation. So we fail if we aren't clear and specific. We also tend to walk away from our resolutions when they are unrealistic. Again, we mean well. But when we choose goals that are too ambitious or too challenging, we are much more likely to become discouraged and abandon them. Unrealistic goals lead to frustration, decreased self-efficacy, and a higher likelihood of quitting, of giving up, of abandoning those dreams. And finally, we tend to fail with our resolutions due to a lack of accountability and support. We try to do this all on our own. We set them on our own, and we try and accomplish them all on our own. But research by psychologist Gail Matthews found that people who share their goals with a friend and send them regular progress updates, right, they're much more likely to achieve those goals. Social support and accountability are crucial factors in actually achieving goals. 
sharing goals with someone else, someone who can provide encouragement, guidance, and motivation increases your chance of success. Side note, this is why working with coaches has taken off. There is accountability and support built into that coaching relationship, and that accountability and support leads to more successful outcomes. Okay, so we fail because we aren't specific, we are too ambitious, and we don't get the support we need. But what resolutions are typically kept? Because we did talk about 8% are successful. What are those people doing differently? Well, resolutions related to health and wellness often have higher success rates. These also tend to be, though not always, intrinsically motivated, which is really important. We are doing them for our own reasons and are motivated internally to succeed. Goals that are specific, measurable, and achievable are much more likely to be successful. We're going to talk about SMART goals today as a framework for goal setting. As we mentioned a minute ago, accountability and support can significantly impact the success of resolutions. Sharing our goals with friends or family members or seeking professional guidance increases the likelihood of actually achieving them. And breaking down those big goals, those larger goals, into smaller, manageable steps can make them more achievable. They're more realistic that way, and they're much less daunting. What does all of this have to do with happiness? Setting and achieving meaningful resolutions positively impacts your sense of well-being and happiness. Accomplishing goals boosts self-esteem, it boosts our confidence, and it provides us a sense of purpose and fulfillment. So let's do that. Let's spend the rest of our time together today defining specific, measurable, achievable goals that can, one, increase our happiness in 2024, and two, that can help us design the lives we want for ourselves, the lives we know we will love. In the late 1960s, Edwin Locke and Gary Latham Locke and Latham, first proposed their goal-setting theory, and it has been super influential in understanding the psychology of goal-setting. Their research shows that setting challenging yet achievable goals enhances motivation and performance, right? If we're going to be successful in achieving our resolutions, our goals for the new year, then we are going to need to stay motivated. We're going to need to understand how to set goals that are achievable. We're going to need goal-setting theory to design our happier year. So we're going to spend the next few minutes exploring how goal-setting theory and the eight pillars of happiness work together to set goals we can reach when it comes to our resolutions. Specifically, we are going to explore how the theory connects with the happiness pillars of confidence, purpose, authenticity, optimism, and compassion. Setting goals involves practicing the eight pillars of happiness. When we have goals we enjoy pursuing, when we have resolutions rooted in our happiness and in practicing it, well, science shows that we're much more likely to make those goals a reality. 
So let's start with the happiness pillar of confidence. Locke and Latham's theory emphasizes the importance of setting clear and specific goals. We talked about that a second ago, right? We talked about that a few minutes ago, right? This is SMART goals. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of SMART goals. If not, we're going to break it down here, and then we're going to spend more time with it here in a few minutes. Though their framework, right, though goal-setting theory didn't actually include the SMART framework and that that framework didn't show up for another two decades after Locke and Latham's work, it definitely laid the foundation for it. So SMART is an acronym that stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Bound. What we know is that having a well-defined objective boosts an individual's confidence in their ability to achieve it. When you are working toward a specific, well-defined goal, you inherently have more confidence that you can do it. Losing weight is nebulous. Losing 10 pounds by June is concrete. SMART goals direct our focus and energy. They channel our confidence, and that drives us toward success. Goal-setting theory encourages people to set goals that align with their values and long-term aspirations. This is the happiness pillar of purpose at work. When goals are aligned with our sense of purpose, they become more meaningful and thus more motivating and more fulfilling. Pursuing purposeful goals ignites our intrinsic motivation, which is linked to a deeper sense of purpose. Accomplishing purpose-driven goals contributes to a greater sense of well-being and fulfillment. When something aligns with our greater value system, we are more inclined to lean into it and to live it out. That's why purposeful goals tend to lead to more success. They're more meaningful for us. Authenticity. The happiness pillar of authenticity. This is tied to the same intrinsic motivation, the same sense of purpose that we just talked about. It involves living in accordance with your true values and your belief system. Goal-setting theory supports setting goals that reflect your values because these goals are so much more likely to lead to a sense of authenticity. You feel aligned if you're striving for a goal that aligns with your value system. Goal-setting theory also encourages regular self-reflection and adjustment of goals, right? Goals have to be fluid to work with the ever-changing circumstances of life. So many times we set goals and we hold ourselves to the exact language and the exact concreteness that we originally set out. So if we vary from that at all, if something comes up, we just walk away from it. This is part of that um, realistic aspect of goal setting that we need to be successful. It's about allowing us to reflect and change and adapt and adjust our goals based on how life is going around us, right? This requires reflection and grace. Goal-setting theory aligns with the practice of authenticity as it allows you to stay true to yourself and to adapt your goals as needed. 
Now for optimism. Goal setting involves envisioning a positive future outcome for yourself. You want something, and so you envision yourself having it. You envision yourself meeting that goal. You envision yourself accomplishing whatever it is you set out to do. This forward thinking and optimistic mindset fosters a more positive and optimistic outlook on life in general. When you're really excited about something in the future, your excitement about everything else shifts because your energy shifts in all areas of your life. Also in the happiness sphere of optimism, setting and pursuing goals helps build resilience, which is key, right? Because when we face those setbacks that are inevitably going to happen, when we face those setbacks in pursuing our goals and our dreams, resilience teaches us how to bounce back and keep moving forward. And finally, compassion. Goal-setting theory acknowledges that goals may need to be adjusted over time because life happens. Well, the happiness practice of self-compassion helps us remain flexible and understanding when circumstances change. Practicing compassion and self-compassion lets us be okay modifying our goals and our expectations without giving up and walking away completely. This is where grace comes into play too. Grace in goal achievement involves accepting that nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect, yourself included, myself included. And that means it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to experience setbacks. It's human. It's natural. It's going to happen. Practicing self-compassion trains our brains, which is what practicing happiness is all about, right? Practicing self-compassion trains our brains to embrace that imperfection and to understand that it's just part of the journey. Grace and compassion keep us moving forward when things get hard and when we show up imperfectly. So, how does all of this actually play out when setting successful New Year's resolutions? So, how does all of this actually play out when setting successful New Year's resolutions? In the pursuit of designing a happier year for ourselves and coming off everything we just learned in terms of goal setting theory, now we are going to work through making SMART goals for the year ahead. As mentioned a few minutes ago, SMART goals are where science meets personal development. SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. The idea is simple. By making your goals SMART, you increase your chances of success. Research shows again and again that when our goals are specific, when they're measurable and achievable and relevant, and when they are time-bound, people are more likely to reach them. A study published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology found that people who set SMART goals were actually 10 times more likely to achieve them compared to those who didn't. 10 times! So, let's work through how we turn your generic New Year's resolutions into SMART goals that help us not only succeed in designing a happier New Year, but also help us practice happiness while we are putting in the work. Let's start with a common New Year's resolution. 
losing weight. In some surveys, it has been reported that around 25 to 30% of all respondents to the survey express a desire to lose weight or to get in shape as as their New Year's resolution. So this is clearly what a lot of people want for themselves. Let's transform losing weight into a SMART goal that can actually lead to success. We're going to start by making it specific, okay? We need to get really clear on how much weight we want to lose. For the purposes of our time together today, let's say that the goal is to lose 20 pounds, okay? There's your S. Next, for measurability, what will you do to track your progress toward those 20 pounds? Will you commit to weighing in daily, weekly? Where will you weigh in? The more specific we are, the better. To make sure it's achievable, the A, we need to ensure it's realistic based on current weight, schedule constraints, health conditions. For this, I really like to ask myself, what obstacles could get in the way of me reaching this goal? Knowing the obstacles and how I plan to work around them helps me better grasp how realistic my expectations are here. Now for the R. We are going to make this relevant by connecting it to our why. Why do I want to lose this weight? And just as importantly as the why itself is asking, is that why enough to keep me motivated enough to see it through? And the last thing here is making sure that the goal is time bound. This is where we set a deadline. Like I will lose 20 pounds in the next 12 months. Sometimes it helps to build in milestones throughout on especially those longer, bigger goals because that reiterates and rewards us throughout the process and makes it more motivating to keep moving forward. So that's it. We've successfully transformed a generic weight loss goal into a smart one. Now we're going to tackle one more goal to make sure we've all got the framework down so that we can go off after this podcast and do it for ourselves and our resolutions. This goal is going to be about adding something into our routine and into our habits for the new year. It's about forming those new habits or building a completely new routine. And the goal here is to have more fun this year. Because I heard someone say this to me recently, that they weren't a fun person. And so their goal in 2024 is to have and be more fun. Side note, I personally think this person is a lot of fun. So I am thrilled that they're wanting to compound that fun into even more fun. I am here for it. So having more fun. We're going to get smart about it. And we're going to add a little more fun into the scenario as well. For specificity, right? For the S. What does more mean here? I do this a lot with my coaching clients because they'll say something and I need more clarity around it because I need them to have more clarity around it. So what do these words mean? right? What does more mean? What does fun mean? Those are two very important pieces that we have to define. So this could be adjusted to be, in 2024, I want to commit to at least two planned, enjoyable activities a week. Okay, so we know that more is now two. And what is fun? Activities I enjoy. We could get even more specific here and list the types of activities we are committing to. That helps. Okay, so now, how will we measure this? How are we going to hold ourselves accountable to all this fun we're having? Well, let's commit to keeping a fun journal to log all this fun that we're going to have um, because this could also serve as something to look at when I'm stuck for ideas a couple months in. I can go back and look at all the other fun things I've done. 
it could also serve as a really good tool at the end of this for me to reflect back on and, and really make note of were my expectations met when I added more fun into my life. So we're going to do a fun log, a fun journal here. Okay, so now we're on to the A. Is it achievable? Again, same question as before. What obstacles might get in the way of having all the fun? And how can we confidently move forward with a plan that still works despite these obstacles? This might be where we do a gut check on the twice-a-week commitment. Is that doable with my schedule and my other responsibilities? If so, great. If not, let's adjust it. And maybe it is completely doable and it sounds easy, so we want to add it to, you know, three times a week. Now for relevant, the why. Science says that having more fun, and play in particular, is essential to our overall well-being and happiness. I want more fun because I want to show up more authentically in my life. I want to be happier, and fun's going to lead me there. Finally, time-bound. When will I start this, and how long will I keep it up for? Let's look at what we did here, okay? We went from a New Year's resolution to have more fun to a smart goal of committing to and tracking at least two joy-filled activities a week for the first six months of 2024. I like that. Do you like that? It sounds very realistic to me. Even better, it sounds fun and motivating. And I kind of personally want to do it for myself. So before we wrap up with the SMART goals, I want to again emphasize the importance of them, why we are doing them in terms of our success and happiness here. Research shows that people who set SMART goals are 10 times more likely to achieve them. If we want our resolutions to play out, we need to get smart about what they are. We also remember from earlier, right, that sharing your SMART goals with a friend or family member or someone else and then regularly updating them can further increase your chances of success. This is a science-backed approach to designing a happier life because it's not just about setting goals. It's about setting the right goals for you and for the life that you are designing for yourself. Success here, though, requires changing habits or creating new habits. So that's what we're going to talk about next. So far, we've covered the history of New Year's resolutions. We've covered goal setting theory, the specifics of setting SMART goals, and how this all aligns with the eight pillars of happiness. Now we're going to dive into another fascinating topic, the science of habit formation. This is really where I nerd out. Brain science is super cool because once you understand it, you can use it to design your life. Understanding how our brains form habits is a game changer in designing lives we'll love. Because designing our lives almost always involves building the habits to support our dreams and goals, right? To successfully reach those New Year's resolutions, I'm guessing we're going to have to all do a little rewiring of our brains. I'm going to keep this really high level, so don't get scared and turn this off. This is really good stuff, I promise. What you need to know is that our brains are incredible efficiency-seeking machines. It's all about saving energy for critical functions, okay? So how does the brain do this? How does it save energy? Let's break it down. Inside your brain, neurons are the MVPs. 
The human brain is estimated to contain approximately 86 billion neurons. These neurons are the primary functional units of the brain, and they are responsible for processing and transmitting information throughout the nervous system. And they're constantly seeking the quickest, easiest routes to get things done. Think of it like finding the fastest path from point A to point B. This is how they save energy. So habits, whether they're good or bad, they form because your brain carves out these well-trodden paths like superhighways. They're efficient and they're favored because they've been traveled a lot before. But here's the really cool part. Changing habits is really just forging new paths in the brain. You're creating a fresh trail to point B. And while it might be challenging at first, with practice, it becomes a whole lot easier. Eventually, this new path becomes the superhighway that your brain defaults to. It becomes the new habit. So how do you actually build these new habits? Well, my go-to strategy is habit stacking. Habit stacking is all about attaching a new habit you want to form to an existing well-established habit. You're essentially using your brain's existing superhighway to help create a new path. It's like piggybacking on efficiency. Let's see how this ties back to those two SMART goals we just set, okay? Our first SMART goal had to do with weight loss. We were aiming to lose 20 pounds this year. Now, let's use habit stacking to make this happen. Let's say you already have a pretty consistent morning coffee ritual. You wake up, you make coffee, and you scroll through social media for a little bit. Okay, you do this every morning. Let's use this established routine for our resolution. We can habit stack by adding a new habit to that coffee ritual. Let's say a 20-minute morning stretch right after you pour that first cup of coffee. After a while, your brain starts connecting the dots. Coffee, stretch, efficiency. A new habit is being formed that supports your weight loss goal. Yay! Now, our fun SMART goal. We were adding and logging two joy-filled activities a week to our schedule, right? Let's habit stack this goal with our after-work routine. When we finish our workday, we're going to stack the new habit of choosing the fun activity before we go check our email or social media. So the workday ends and the fun begins. The key here is that you have the power to reshape your habits and consequently your life. It's about forging those new neural pathways in your brain, the paths that support the outcomes you want. And the more you use those pathways, the clearer and smoother they become, just like a well-traveled superhighway to your dreams. Habit stacking is a super helpful and proven tool for designing your happier year, one new habit at a time. Your brain is amazing. It can do incredible things, and you have the ability to create the year you want. No, no. You have the ability to create the life you want by building and reshaping your habits to support it. You just need to set those SMART goals and then build the habits and routines you need to meet them. You've totally got this. Some final tips on setting New Year's resolutions. The first is um, understanding intrinsic versus extrinsic goals. This really goes to the happiness pillars of authenticity and purpose. Our goals have to be true to who we are at our core, to the values that we hold, 
and um, to what we want to design in a purposeful way for ourselves. So intrinsic goals are those goals that are inherently satisfying and aligned with your values and your interests. They involve pursuing outcomes or activities for the enjoyment and fulfillment that they will provide. An example of this is pursuing a new career path because you're really passionate about something specific to that role or job or company. Research shows that pursuing intrinsic goals can lead to greater well-being, life satisfaction, and sustained motivation. People tend to be more committed to intrinsic goals, which can result in a higher likelihood of success in areas that genuinely matter to them, that are aligned to your values. Now, extrinsic goals involve pursuing outcomes that are external and are often influenced by external pressures or rewards. These goals are often driven by a desire for validation, for recognition, for material gain. So some common examples are pursuing a career for the purpose of making more money or for gaining status. You know, an extrinsic goal would be when we engage in activities to avoid criticism rather than for personal fulfillment or pursuing a goal because it is expected by other people in our life or by society as a whole. Those are extrinsically motivated. And while extrinsic goals may lead to external rewards or achievements, research shows that they are less likely to result in long-term well-being and satisfaction. The pursuit of extrinsic goals can lead to feelings of pressure anxiety, a sense of emptiness, even if the goals are achieved. Again, this goes back to the happiness pillar of authenticity. Our goals need to be true to who we are as people, to what we value and what we deem important, because those are the outcomes that will be in alignment with our dreams and with the lives we are building for ourselves. The final tip around goal framing is about positive goal framing versus negative goal framing. Okay, positive goals are framed in terms of what you want to achieve or add or get in your life. An example of this is I want to travel more. That's a positive goal. Positive framing is often associated with a sense of aspiration, of motivation, um, a pursuit of personal growth. Research shows that positive framing can lead to higher motivation and engagement because it focuses on the benefits and rewards of achieving the goal. Positive goals tend to be more appealing and more enjoyable, making people more likely to stick with them. Negative goals, on the other hand, are framed in terms of what you want to eliminate or remove or avoid. For example, I want to lose weight is a negative goal. Negative framing often highlights the avoidance of negative consequences, of threats um, such as health risks or undesirable outcomes. Research indicates that negative framing can be effective when there is clear and immediate threats or a consequence associated with not achieving the goal. However, negative goals may be associated with feelings of deprivation or loss, which reduces the motivation um, if there is no imminent threat. In short, science says we will be more successful in reaching our goals and the outcomes we want And those outcomes will have longer lasting benefits to our overall well-being and happiness when they are intrinsic and when they are positively framed. Now, let's go back 
to where we started this conversation today with a question. I asked you, what have you got to the end of this new year and we're in exactly the same place you are today? I hope the science here has empowered you to design the next year in pursuit of your dreams and goals. And I'm optimistic that no one here will be in this exact same place a year from now because you are now equipped with the science of goal setting theory. You understand the psychology behind setting smart goals. You know how to habit stack and rewire your brain to help you reach those goals. Oh, and you're going to find a friend or accountability partner to support you and cheer you on along the way. And if you need that outside support, head over to projectmorehappy.com and book a joyful life strategy session, and we will work together to make your resolution a reality in 2024. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I so love sharing the science of happiness and positive psychology with you because I know how life-changing it can be putting it into action to design a life you'll love. You have the tools. You have the knowledge. You have the wisdom. You are completely capable of designing a happier new year for yourself. Now just go live it for you, for me, for our world. Thank you so much for spending time with me here today, and I'll see you next time here on the Project More Happy podcast. 